Art of Divine Contentment. It's by uh, Thomas Watson. Ready? Never heard of him. He was a Puritan minister. Chapters 1 through 3 of The Art of Divine Contentment. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jen Raimundo. The Art of Divine Contentment by Thomas Watson. Chapters 1 through 3. The Art of Divine Contentment, an exposition of Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Chapter 1. The Introduction to the Text. Bede's words are brought in by way of palepsis to anticipate and prevent an objection. The apostle had, in the former verse, laid down many grave and heavenly exhortations. Well, you know, I hate to do this to you, but you're going to have to slow that down. I'm having trouble understanding her. Among the rest, to be careful for nothing. Not to exclude, one, a prudential care. For he that provideth not for his own house hath denied the faith, and... Can you hear it? Yeah. You hear good? Yeah, it's fine. Because this is a new phone, too. Maybe the, the sound is different. Is the, is the sound worse? No. It's worse than an infidel. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. No. Interesting, I said worse, and she said worse. <laughs> Are two a religious care, for we must give all diligence to make our calling and election sure. Second Peter chapter one verse ten. But three to exclude all anxious care about the issues and events of things. Take no thought for your life what you shall eat. Matthew. I mean, I can use my uh, iPad if it would sound better. Do you think so? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. It may be just her voice. I don't know. I'm gonna use the iPad. One second. Oh, whatever. We'll just use this. But do you do you understand what she's saying? Well, I, I think I'm getting it. Three six verse twenty five. And in this sense, it should be a Christian's care not to be careful. The word careful in the Greek comes from the primitive that signifies to cut the heart in pieces, a soul-dividing care. Take heed of this. We are bid to commit our way unto the Lord, Psalm 37, verse 5. The Hebrew word is roll thy way upon the Lord. It is our work to cast away care, First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, and it is God's work to take care. By our immoderacy, we take his work out of his hand. Care, when it is eccentric, either distrustful or distracting, is very dishonorable to God. It takes away his providence, as if he sat in heaven and minded not what became of things here below, like a man that makes a clock and then leaves it to go for itself. Immoderate care takes the heart off from better things, and usually while we are thinking how we shall do to live, we forget how to die. Care is a spiritual canker that doth waste and dispirit. We may sooner buy our care at a furlong. It does. No. 
Tell me if this sounds Tell me if this sounds better. say perhaps he is and he does yeah you're probably right yeah it doesn't but, no. but but you would say no that that's magical thinking but i understand what you're saying yeah that, that could be dualistic when if you're, you're one with it right but still there's a magical right. a magical supernatural aspect of existence and while you could be one with it you're also separate too there's there's that also separateness you know it's that paradox that's important you know and it does and and yours is a very well adjusted thing and a lot of people like that idea that oh yeah oh no everything's energy or everything's one but it might not be true it's it could be everything's one and everything but also there's the separation and there could be a magical aspect you know even anthropomorphic component it does well i doubt it it's, it's possible Still, all the evidence seems to indicate it's all one. Yeah, but that but that doesn't mean shit. It, what the evidence indicates, 
What the evidence indicates doesn't it doesn't indicate it, yeah there, there, it points to that but still it also indicates that there's two ways of looking at it and, and there's evidence for both cases and I see you know your evidence that you're trying to look at is well look at what the, the astronomers are saying about the the universe being like this and you know and it coming from a big bang and all but also there's evidence in the, in the contrary stuff in, in the you know the religious evidence with the where the religious people and I would say there's evidence for both because that's the important aspect of reality is both of them are true and not true. Any thoughts? Yeah. yeah, both are true in the sense of it's the way you're looking at it, that's the way you see it. And if you're looking at it from a dualistic point of view, that, that's true. If, if a child looks at the mother's breast as an, as an object to be used, that's true. But no, but what I'm saying is there's a magical the aspect of reality that you're just looking at it from one vantage point. But any thoughts there? Who says I am? I did. Any thoughts there? No. I learned not to be careful. The apostle seemed tacitly to answer that in the words of the text, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. A speech worthy to be engraven upon our hearts and to be written in letters of gold upon the crowns and diadems of princes. The text doth branch itself into these two general parts. One, the scholar, Paul, I have learned. And two, the lesson, in every state to be content. Chapter two, the first branch of the text, the scholar with the first proposition. I begin with the first, the scholar and his proficiency. Yeah, what do you think it means? What, do you have any ideas? In whatever the state be content? Yeah, I don't know. What do you think it means? Well, to me, I, I've read other people who talk about that. It's, it's don't, don't try to make up a story about it. Just be content. It is what it is, and it ain't what it ain't. So don't make up a story about it. What's wrong with making that's up what story? happened what's wrong with the story that's what it, that's what it means to be content with it and what's wrong with making up a story well I'm just saying that's what she's saying or that's what this guy no she didn't is she, yeah, she said nothing about a story that's what you're saying so what's wrong with making up a story nothing Because she didn't. Did she mention story one time? No. But then how come you, you said, ask me what it meant? How come you said that's what she's saying. You ask me what it. You ask me what it meant, and I said that's what I think it meant. No, but you said that that's what she said. But that's that's not what she said, though. No, I didn't. No, I said that's what I understand. See, the Bible says that. But you say the Bible says Whatever that. State. I didn't see anywhere in the Bible where it says don't say a story. But you say that it says that. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't say anything. But you just said the Bible says I'm that. I'm just telling you. You just said the Bible says that, though. No, I said the Bible said in whatever state, be content. Okay, what does that have to do with the story? Hey, if you want to argue with me, I'm I'm, no, I'm not arguing. I'm just asking what does that have to do with the story? I'm just telling you that's what I understand that passage to mean, and I may be full of shit. 
are you just saying that because that's what you you want to bring up, or is is where are you getting that from that that passage? You ask me what I okay, and I'll say what's, what's wrong with what's wrong with the story. Nothing. Okay, then then what's what, then what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that's what I understand that biblical passage to mean. So so why is it saying not to to do, do a story? That's what I understand it to mean. But why though? What what's the what's the meaning of it? What's the well, point? That's just what I said. Be content in whatever state. Just be content. It is what it is, and it ain't what it ain't. Uh-huh. Okay. Any other? No. What does that have to do with the story? Nothing. But but you said that you thought that's what it meant though. We're talking about the story. Not, I'm not full of shit. I'm full of shit. You are. Yeah. Is that your story or? Yeah. But you said you shouldn't have a story. Any other thoughts? Hey, I'm gonna I turn my one. porn blocker. Out of which I shall by the by observe two things by way of paraphrase. One, the apostle doth not say, I have heard that in every state I should be content, but I have learned. Whence our first doctrine, that it is not enough for Christians to hear their duty, but they must learn their duty. It is one thing to hear and another thing to learn, as it is one thing to eat and another thing to concoct. St. Paul was a practitioner. You know, somebody could say, like, don't be, just be content would be like, don't, don't try to, like, you know, you're, you're trying to have me get a job or, like, trying to, you know, do the basketball, or, you know, do, do some you know, creative projects or something. And it's like, no, just don't worry about that. Just be content. Any thoughts of that? No, that's not what he's talking about. That's what the Bible's talking about. Well, that's what you say that's not what the Bible's talking about, but... Because you said something about a story, but I didn't hear anywhere in the Bible where it says something about a story. Do you, do, you want, do you want to know what I think, or don't you? Yeah, I do, but I'm also saying you think that it's possible that that's what it also is. Could be. Yeah, doesn't. But but you like that idea. Your like, ego is get, your 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 ego is getting involved, and you're thinking that I'm putting you down. No, you I I think that you did put me down before, but it doesn't matter. Other people don't. I discovered the theory of everything. It's all good. What are your thoughts on? I'm gonna hang up here in about two minutes if if this continues. But uh. But any other thoughts with the idea of, like, I was saying, do you think that it has to do with, like, you know, decontent? Like, you know, you're talking about, like, creative projects and, you know, doing all that and, you know, th- then give them the money and stuff. But but do you think that maybe it's just saying, like, no, don't worry about the creative projects and all that crap. Just, you know, be content. Like, don't try to force, like, working and stuff. Like, any thoughts of that? Do you think that's true? No. You don't think so? Christians hear much, but, it is to be feared, learn little. There were four sorts of grounds in the parable, Luke chapter 8, verse 5, and but one good ground. An emblem of this truth, many hearers, but few learners. There are two things which keep us from learning. One, slighting what we hear. Christ is the pearl of price. When we disesteem this pearl, we shall never learn its value or its virtue. The gospel is a rare mystery. In one place, Acts chapter 20, verse 24, it is called the gospel of grace. 
in another, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the gospel of glory. Because in it, as in a transparent glass, the glory of God is resplendent. But he that hath learned to condemn this mystery will hardly ever learn to obey it. He that looks upon the things of heaven as things by the by, and perhaps the driving of a trade or carrying on some politic design to be of greater importance, this man is in the high road to damnation and will hardly ever learn the things of his peace. Who will learn that which he thinks is scarce worth learning? Two. I mean, but what I'm thinking is like sometimes what, what if other, you know, other people have stories and stuff, whatever, but ain't that saying? No. Forgetting what we hear. If a scholar have his rules laid before him, and he forgets them as fast as he reads them, he will never learn. James chapter 1 verse 25. Aristotle calls the memory the scribe of the soul, and Bernard calls it the stomach of the soul, because it hath a retentive faculty, and turns heavenly food into blood and spirits. We have great memories in other things. We remember that which is vain. Cyrus could remember the name of every soldier in his huge army. We remember injuries. This is to fill a precious cabinet with dung. But as Hiram saith, how soon do we forget the sacred truths of God? We are apt to forget three things. Our faults, our friends, our instructions. Hey, boss. Many Christians are like sieves. Put a sieve into the water, and it is full. But take it forth of the water, and all runs out. So, while they are hearing a sermon, they remember something. But like the sieve out of the water, as soon as they are gone out of the church, all is forgotten. Let these sayings, saith Christ, sink down into your ears. Luke chapter 9, verse 44. In the original it is, put these sayings into your ears, as a man that would hide the jewel from being stolen locks it up safe in his chest. Let them sink. The word must not fall only as dew that wets the leaf, but as rain which soaks to the root of the tree and makes it fructify. Oh, how often doth Satan, that fowl of the air, pick up the good seed that is sown? Use. Let me put you upon a serious trial. Some of you have heard much. You have lived 40, 50, 60 years under the blessed trumpet of the gospel. What have you learned? You may have heard a thousand sermons and yet not learned one. Search your consciences. 1. You have heard much against sin. Are you hearers or are you scholars? How many sermons have you heard against covetousness, that it is the root on which pride, idolatry, treason do grow? One calls it a metropolitan sin. It is a complex evil. It doth twist a great many sins in with it. There is hardly any sin, but covetousness is a main ingredient of it. And yet are you like the two daughters of the horse leech that cry, give, give? How much have you heard against rash anger, that it is a short frenzy, a dry drunkenness, that it rests in the bosom of fools, and upon the least occasion do your spirits begin to take fire? How much have you heard against swearing? It is Christ's express mandate, swear not at all. Matthew chapter 5, verse 34. This sin of all others may be termed the unfruitful work of darkness. It is neither sweetened with pleasure, nor enriched with profit, the usual vermilion wherewith Satan doth paint sin. Swearing is forbidden with a subpoena. While the swearer shoots his oaths like flying arrows at God to pierce his glory, God shoots a flying roll of curses against him. And do you make your tongue a racket by which you toss oaths as tennis balls? Do you sport yourselves with oaths as the... Hey, does. What's, what's wrong with swearing? 
guess it could be beneficial. I said, what's wrong with swearing? I don't know that there's anything wrong with it. She said that swearing is, you know, forbidden and stuff. Why? I don't know. Why is it negative? I don't know that it is. But she's saying that it is according to the Bible. Yeah, well, she might be right. I mean, she, she didn't say anything about stories, but she did say something explicitly about swearing. So why would swearing be bad? I don't know. Philistine stood with Samson, which will at last pull the house about your ears. Alas, how have they learned what sin is that have not learned to leave sin? Doth he know what a viper is that will play with it? Two. You have heard much of Christ. Have you learned Christ? The Jews, as Jerome saith, carried Christ in their Bibles, but not in their heart. Their sound went into all the earth, Romans chapter 10, verse 18. The prophets and apostles were as trumpets, whose sound went abroad into the world. Yet many thousands who heard the noise of these trumpets had not learned Christ. They have not all obeyed, Romans chapter 10, verse 16. 1. A man may know much of Christ, and yet not learn Christ. The devils knew Christ, Matthew chapter 1, verse 24. 2. A man may preach Christ, and yet not learn Christ, as Judas and the pseudo-apostles. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. 3. A man may profess Christ, and yet not learn Christ. There are many professors in the world that Christ will profess against. Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. Any No. Question. What is it then to learn Christ? 1. To learn Christ is to be made like Christ, to have the divine characters of his holiness engraven upon our hearts. We all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. There is a metamorphosis made. A sinner, viewing Christ's image in the glass of the gospel, is transformed into that image. Never did any man look upon Christ with a spiritual eye, but he went to a great change. A true saint is a divine... Maybe that's... Hello? Yeah. Hey, does? No. Landscape picture, where all the rare beauties of Christ are lively portrayed and drawn forth. He hath the same spirit, the same judgment, the same will with Jesus Christ. 2. To learn Christ is to believe in him, my Lord and my God, John chapter 20, verse 28, when we do not only believe God, but in God, which is the actual application of Christ to ourselves, and as it were the spreading of the sacred medicine of his blood upon our souls. You have heard much of Christ, and yet cannot with an humble adherence say, My Jesus. Be not offended if I tell you the devil can say his creed as well as you. 3. To learn Christ is to love Christ. When we have Bible conversations, our lives like rich diamonds cast a sparkling luster in the church of God and are in some sense parallel with the life of Christ as the transcript with the original. So much for the first notion of the word. Chapter 3. Concerning the second proposition. This word, I have learned, is a word that imports difficulty. It shows how hardly the apostle came by contentment of mind. It was not bred in nature. I learned it. It cost him many a prayer and tear. It... Any thoughts? No. 
his spirit. What's our second doctrine? Good things are hard to come by. The business of religion is not so facile as most do imagine. I have learned, says St. Paul. Indeed, you need not learn a man to sin. This is natural, Psalm 58, verse 3, and therefore facile. It comes as water out of a spring. It is an easy thing to be wicked. Hell will be taken without storm. But matters of religion must be learned. To cut the flesh is easy, but to prick a vein and not to cut an artery is hard. The trade of sin needs not to be learned, but the art of divine contentment is not achieved without holy industry. I have learned. There are two pregnant reasons why there must be so much study and exercitation. Hey, does. Hmm. No, it's interesting when he's saying I have learned, whether he's meaning I, I've learned intellectually or I have become aware. Uh, it's not clear what what he's saying. He's saying which that one. he learned it. That it took you know, ink, it took learning, studying, you know, books, talking with people, life experience. Like any does. Well, what he's trying to say is it didn't come can, natural. You can, You're saying it, it's awareness, but he's saying it. This is what this guy's trying to say. It didn't come natural. He had to learn it. Any thoughts? Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I I don't know whether that's whether he's meaning. He had to learn it intellectually or whether he had to become aware of it by virtue of his being exposed to it by reading and conversation, etc., etc. I don't know which one he means. Any other person? No. One, because spiritual things are against nature. Everything in religion is antipodes to nature. There are in religion two things, and both are against nature. One, matters of faith. As for men to be justified by the righteousness of another, to become a fool that he may be wise, to save all by losing all, this is against nature. Two, matters of practice, as self-denial, for a man to deny his own wisdom and see himself blind, his own will and have it melted into the will of God, plucking out the right eye, beheading and crucifying that sin which is the favorite and lies nearest to the heart, for a man to be dead to the world and in the midst of want to abound, for him to take up the cross and follow Christ, not only in golden, but in bloody paths. To embrace religion when it is dressed in nightclothes. All the jewels of honor and preferment being pulled off. This is against nature, and therefore must be learned. Self-examination, for a man to take his heart as a... It does. No. Yeah, I guess, you know, people think that, like, you know, trying to make it happen, we'll, we'll get it. But, you know, being content, you'll get more if you're, like, not trying to make it happen, right? It's kind of like, you know, I tried to get the DVDs by, you know, making it happen. Rather, if I would have just asked people, I probably would have got it, you know, any thoughts? It's possible. I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure. Watch all in pieces. To set up a spiritual inquisition. But it's all good because it all worked out for the best because I discovered the theory of everything. Is the biggest theory in history, and people know that. But any thoughts on that? And traverse things in his own soul. To take David's candle and lantern, Psalm 119, verse 105, and search for sin, nay, as judge, to pass the sentence upon himself, Second Samuel chapter 34, verse 17. This is against nature, and will not easily be attained to without learning. Self-reformation, 
To see a man as Caleb or another spirit walking antipodes to himself, the current of his life altered and running into the channel of religion, this is wholly against nature. When a stone ascends, it is not a natural motion, but a violent. The motion of the soul heavenward is a violent motion. It must be learned. Flesh and blood is not skilled in these things. Nature can no more cast out nature than Satan can cast out Satan. Yes. Because spiritual things are above nature. There are some things in nature that are hard to find out as the cause of things, which are not learned without study. I was thinking that, like, you know, when you take a crap, at one sense it's confirming that you're a body, because, you know, it's going out of your body and stuff, but at the same time it's also a form of transcending the body, because it's letting go of the material that's inside you, like any thoughts. Yeah, that's good. Aristotle, a great philosopher, whom some have called an eagle fallen from the clouds, yet could not find out the motion of the river Euripus, and therefore threw himself into it. What then are divine things which are in a sphere above nature and beyond all human disposition, as the trinity, the hypostatical union, the mystery of faith to believe against hope? Only God's spirit can light our candle here. The apostle calls these the deep things of God. The gospel is full of jewels, but they are locked up from sense and reason. The angels in heaven are searching into those sacred depths. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. Use. Let us beg the Spirit of God to teach us. We must be divinely taught. The eunuch could read, but he could not understand, till Philip joined himself to his chariot. Acts chapter 8, verse 29. God's Spirit must join himself to our chariot. He must teach, or we cannot learn. All thy children shall be taught of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 13. A man may read the figure on the dial, but he cannot tell how the day goes unless the sun shines upon the dial. We may read the... It does. Uh, we must be talking about, in order to really become aware of the truth, it has to be inspired or taught by God rather than by books. Yeah, does it? Or by another person. Yeah, does it? No. Bible over, but we cannot yeah. learn the purpose till the Spirit of God shines into our hearts. Second Corinthians chapter four verse six. Oh, implore this blessed Spirit. It is God's prerogative royal to teach. I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit. Isaiah chapter forty-eight verse seventeen. Ministers may tell us our lesson. God only can teach us. We have lost both our hearing and eyesight therefore are very unfit to learn. Ever since Eve listened to the serpent, we have been deaf, and since she looked on the tree of knowledge, we have been blind. But when God comes to teach, he removes these impediments. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5. We are naturally dead. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Who will go about to teach a dead man? Yet behold, God undertakes to make dead men to understand mysteries. God is the grand teacher. This is the reason the word preached works so differently upon men. To an appeal, the one is it does. brought upon effectually. The other lies at the ordinances as a dead child at the breast and gets no nourishment. What is the reason? Because the heavenly gale of the spirit blows upon one and not upon the other. One hath the anointing of God, which teacheth him all things. First John chapter 2 verse 27. The other hath it not. 
God's spirit speaks sweetly but irresistibly. In that heavenly doxology, none could sing the new song but those who were sealed in their foreheads. Revelation chapter 14, verse 2. Reprobates could not sing it. Those that are skillful in the mysteries of salvation must have the seal of the Spirit upon them. Yeah, he does. Must have what upon them? The seal of the Spirit, I think you said. Yeah. Yeah, I guess what they're talking about is inspiration. Rather than intellection. Let us make this our prayer. Lord, breathe thy spirit into thy word, and we have a promise, which may add wings to prayer. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Luke chapter 11, verse 13. And thus much of the first part of the text, the scholar, which I intended only as a short gloss or paraphrase. End of chapters 1 through 3, recording by Jen Raimundo. Hey, does? No. Six of the Art of Divine Contentment. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jen Raimundo. The Art of Divine Contentment by Thomas Watson, Chapter Four. The second branch of the text, the lesson itself, with the proposition. I come to the second, which is the main. I'm gonna ask our grandpa really quick. Uh, why do you think it is that uh, stereotypically, like black people, when they see magic, they they really go, you know, they really go crazy, like they're really astounded, you know. You you see those like those magic videos and stuff. Like any thoughts on that? No, I didn't know they did. Yeah, they like the jump around, like oh my, you know. But when they show like the white people and they do the magic, they're like whatever. Like they might be interested, but the with the black people is like the reactions are are extraordinary. You know, any thoughts there? Uh, no. I mean, it might not be like, it might not be like biological. It might be you know cultural and stuff. But you know, I guess black people t- tend to show more like emotion, more like enthusiasm, and you know, any thoughts there? Yeah, it could be. Same thing. The lesson itself. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Here was a rare piece of learning indeed, and is certainly more to be wondered at in St. Paul, that he knew how to turn himself to every condition than all the learning in the world besides, which had been so applauded in former ages by Julius Caesar, Ptolemy, Xenophon, the great admirers of learning. The text hath but few words in it, in every state content. But if that be true, which once Fulgentius said, that the most golden sentence is ever measured by brevity and suavity, then this is a most accomplished speech. The text is like a precious jewel, little in quantity, but great in worth and value. The main proposition I shall insist upon is this, that a gracious spirit is a contented spirit. The doctrine of contentment is very superlative, and till we have learned this, we have not learned to be Christians. One, it is a hard lesson. The aim... It does. Angels in heaven had not learned it. They were not contented. Though their estate was very glorious, yet they were still soaring aloft and aimed at something higher. The angels which kept not their first estate. They kept not their estate because they were not contented with their estate. 
our first parents, clothed with the white robe of innocency in paradise, had not learned to be content. They had aspiring hearts, and thinking their human nature too low and homespun, would be crowned with the deity and be as gods. Though they had the choice of all the trees of the garden, yet none would content them but the tree of knowledge which they supposed would have been as I self to have made them omniscient. Oh then, if this left Hey does. was so hard to learn in innocency, how hard shall we find it who are clogged with corruption? Two. Yeah, I guess like, you know, when I was pl playing really good with the basketball and stuff, like if I try to make things happen rather than just be content, you make it worse, you know, in like a, like the shoot away machine, like, okay, let's, let's make it a hundred times better. No, you just, you, you weren't content and now you just screwed it up a hundred times worse, you know, any thoughts? Yeah, it could be. It is of universal extent. It concerns all. First, it concerns rich. I mean, but I would look at it like, you know, even maybe like the nomadic, you know, hunter gatherers and or even the nomads, uh, sheep herders versus the agriculturalists. Maybe the agriculturalists would be the ones who were not content. They're like, okay, let's try to make things happen and let's, you know, store up the food and stuff rather than just, you know, and then they, they end up killing all the people. Like, any thoughts? Yeah. Wait, wait, you said that that was natural and like, you know, many thoughts. No. One would think it needless to press those to contentment whom God hath blessed with great estates, but rather persuade them to be humble and thankful. Nay, but I say, be content. Rich men have their discontents as well as others. When they have a great estate, yet they are discontented that they have no more. They would make the hundred talents a thousand. A man in wine, the more he drinks, the more he thirsts. Covetousness is a dry dropsy. An earthly heart is like the grave that is never satisfied. Therefore, I say to you, rich men, be content. Rich men, if we may suppose them to be content with their estates, which is seldom, yet, though they have estate enough, they have not honor enough. If their barns are full enough, yet their turrets are not high enough. They would be somebody in the world, as Theodos, who boasted himself to be somebody. Acts chapter 5, verse 36. They never go. Any thoughts? No. But cheerfully, as when the wind of honor and applause fills their sails. If this wind be down, they are discontented. One would think Haman had as much as his proud heart could desire. He was set above all the princes, advanced upon the pinnacle of honor, to be the second man in the kingdom. Esther chapter 3, verse 1. Yet in the midst of all his pomp, because Mordecai would not uncover and yield, he is discontented and full of wrath, and there was no way to assuage this pleurisy of revenge but by letting all the Jews' blood and offering them up in sacrifice. The itch of honor is seldom allayed without blood. Therefore, I say to you, rich men, be content. Rich men, if we may suppose them to be content with their honor and magnificent titles, yet they have not always contentment in their relations. She that lies in the bosom may sometimes blow the coals, as Job's wife, who in a pet would have him fall out with God himself, curse God and die. Sometimes children cause discontent. How often is it seen that the mother's milk doth nourish a viper, and that he that once sucked her breast goes about to suck her blood? Parents do often of grapes gather thorns and of figs thistles. Children are sweetbriar, like the rose, which is a fragrant flower, but hath its prickles. Our relative comforts are not all pure wine, but... It does.
They have in them more dreads than spirits, and are like that river Plutarch speaks of, where the waters in the morning run sweet, but in the evening run bitter. We have no charter of exemption granted us in this life. Therefore, rich men had need be called upon to be content. Secondly, the doctrine of contentment concerns poor men. You that do suck so liberally from the breasts of providence, be content. It is an hard lesson, therefore it had need be set upon the sooner. How hard is it when the livelihood is even gone? A great estate boiled away almost to nothing, then to be contented. The means of subsistence is in scripture called our life, because it is the very sinews of life. The woman in the gospel spent all her living upon the physicians. Luke chapter 8 verse 43. In the Greek it is, she spent her whole life upon the physicians, because she spent her means by which she should live. It is much when poverty hath clipped our wings than to be content, but though hard, it is excellent. Hey, does? No, I think what she's saying to be content is don't fight, don't fight the situation, don't fight the order you depend on. Uh, when you pull your chair up the blackjack table, play blackjack. And if you don't fight it, then that opens up the possibility for something new to occur. We think about the, the poor lady giving so much. Oh, I don't, I don't have any thoughts about that. You know, you see that she was poor, but she gave the most, you know, any thoughts? No. And the apostle here had learned in every state to be content. God had brought St. Paul into as great variety of conditions as ever we read of any man, and yet he was content. Else sure he could never have gone through it with so much cheerfulness. See into what vicissitudes this blessed apostle was cast. We are troubled on every side, Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. There was the sadness of his condition, but not distressed. There was his content in that condition. We are perplexed, there is his affliction, but not in despair. There is his contentation. And if we read a little further, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, Second Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, etc., there is his trouble, and behold his content, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. It does. Well, you hate to hear it, but it just sounds like he's saying... Just don't make up a story. Just be content, see it for what it is, and move on. Yeah, like I moved on, you know, with the, I did the quadrant stuff. I have a theory of everything out, you know? Yeah. It's ready. It's big, you know? Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah. That's good. You know, I played with the Compton College, and, you know, I was doing big stuff, you know, I discovered the theory of everything, and I had that stuff out, and it's like, it's out there. I have a ton of stuff, you know, and people can see it, and it's, it's about ready to get big, you know? It's amazing. Any thoughts? Yeah, I hope it does. Too. Well, it, it doesn't matter whether whether it does in my life or not. It's gonna be big, and I'm gonna be known for that for forever. I'm I'm an archetype in existence. Any thoughts? That sounds boast. That sounds boasting. No, no, it's, but it's not in an arrogant manner. It's actually not boasting. It's putting existence first. Everybody's an archetype. Let's build a pattern. When it does. Okay. It doesn't? No. When the apostle was driven out of all, yet in regard of that sweet contentment of mind which was like music in his soul, 
he possessed all. We read a short map or history of his sufferings. In prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22, 24, and 25. Yet the blessed frame and temper of his spirit, I have learned, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Which way soever providence did blow, he had such heavenly skill and dexterity that he knew how to steer his course. For his mistake, he was different. He could be either on the top of Jacob's ladder or the bottom. He could sing either the dirge or the anthem. He could be anything that God would have him. I know how to... See, like, like with your thing, is like, you know, work and, and, and anti-entropic and stuff, but like contentment, to me, it sounds more like, you know, just relax, chill out. You know, don't try to, like, force stuff, you know, any thoughts. It seems like you're, you're, you're grasping onto the idea of a story, but any other thoughts on it? No, I'm, I'm, I'm full of shit. Any other thoughts on it? I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't believe anything I think. I don't say that. Here is a rare pattern for us to imitate. Paul, in regard of his faith and courage, was like a cedar. He could not be stirred. But for his outward condition, he was like a reed bending every way with the wind of providence. When a prosperous gale did blow upon him, he could bend with that. I know how to be full. And when a boisterous gust of affliction did blow, he could bend in humility with that. I know how to be hungry. St. Paul was, as Aristotle speaks, like a die that hath four squares. Throw it which way you will, it falls upon the bottom. Let God throw the apostle which way he would, he fell upon the bottom of contentment. Any thoughts? No. You know, make, make, make the best of the situation, you know? Okay, yep. He's in the situation, well, it's like, kind of like what I did, you know? Even when, when the, the, ga yep. the gusts of wind were blowing, you know, against me, I made the best of it. And I, and I just went all out with the, with the quadrant stuff. And I got all that stuff up, and now it's big time. You know, it's just a matter of time, hopefully. But any thoughts? No. A contented spirit is like a watch. Though you carry it up and down with you, yet the spring of it is not shaken, nor the wheels out of order. But the watch keeps its perfect motion. So it was with St. Paul. Though God carried him into various conditions, yet he was not lift up with the one, nor cast down with the other. The spring of his heart was not broken. The wheels of his affections were not disordered. They kept their constant motion towards heaven, still content. The ship that lies at anchor may sometimes be a little shaken, but never sinks. Flesh and blood may have its fears and disquiets, but grace doth check them. A Christian, having cast anchor in heaven, his heart never sinks. A gracious spirit is a contented spirit. This is a rare heart. Paul did not learn it at the feet of Gamalia. I am instructed, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. I am initiated into this holy mystery, as if he had said, I have gotten the divine art. I have the knack of it. God must make us right artists. If we should put some men to an art that they are not skilled in, how unfit would they be for it? Put an husbandman to living, drawing pictures. What strange work would he make? This is out of his sphere. Take a limber that is exact in laying of colors and put him to plow or set him to planting or grafting of trees. This is not his art. He is not skilled in it. 
Bid a natural man live by faith. Your thing's making so much noise. What's going on? What's making noise? It's constant, there's constant noise going on. Like, er, like, er. Are you moving around or what? No. It's like a static. Constant static going on on your side. It sounds like you're eating something or it sounds like you're moving the thing around or... No, I'm not eating or moving. I'm lying very still. Is, is it on your stomach or something? It's on my chest. Yeah, I'm guessing that's it. I'm guessing your chest is moving and it's making noise, but any of that sound? No. Now things go cross, be contented. You bid him do what he hath no skill in. You may as well bid a child guide the stern of a ship. To live contented upon God and the deficiency of outward comforts is an art which flesh and blood hath not learned. Nay, many of God's own children. I would also be careful with it on your on your chest, especially during the during the zoom, because there's a lot of radiation, and it's not too healthy. But it doesn't. So I'd probably put it on the table. Yeah. And some duties of religion, when they come to this of contentment, how do they bungle? They have scarce commenced masters of this art. Chapter five: The resolving of some questions. For the illustration of this doctrine, I shall propound these questions. Question one. Whether a Christian may not be sensible of his condition and yet be contented? Yes, for else he is not a saint but a stoic. Rachel did well to weep for her children. There was nature. But her fault was she refused to be comforted. There was discontent. Christ himself was... Hey, Gus. I, I put it on the table. Yeah, any thoughts? Yeah, I was, I was gonna say like, but like, you look at the story of Mary and Martha. Like when Martha, she was like content. She's like, "Oh, Jesus, I believe in you. You know, everything is good." And but then Mary was like, she was crying and she and she was like, she didn't kiss up to Jesus. And Jesus moved was moved to tears by Mary and not Martha. So maybe Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, she, Mar Mary wasn't content. Martha was like content, you know, and like faithful or whatever. But but Jesus was moved by Mary. Like any thoughts in there? I thought Mary. I thought Mary was the one that was more content. Martha was busy, busybodying. Uh, Mary was listening to Jesus. Yeah, but no. When when Mary and Martha approached Jesus on his way to Lazarus, Mar Martha approached him first and was like, "Oh Jesus, it's okay. You know, I know you're the Son of God or or, or the son, or the Messiah or whatever, and I know everything's gonna be fine and." You could do whatever. And Jesus stayed. He was like, okay, whatever. But then when Mary came, she was crying. And she was like, Jesus, you know, how could you? You know, she was not very, she was like, you know, kind of putting him down. And she wasn't kissing up to him at all. And then he was like, and then he, and then he, st and then he started to weep. And then he went, like, any thoughts? No. Sensible when he sweat great drops of blood and said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet he was contented and sweetly submitted his will. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. The apostle bids us humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. First Peter chapter 5 verse 6. Which we cannot do unless... And he does? No. Yeah, I wonder if it's just a mistake to like take one passage. I mean, okay, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting passage. And I, and I had questions about it before too, but like... 
you know, you take one passage and you make a whole book about it, or you make a whole your whole sermon like everybody just be content. Like we don't know what mood Paul was in that day. Paul's not Jesus. Number one, number two, we don't even know if Jesus existed. Number three, we don't even know if Paul necessarily is. You know, I don't know. There's so many complications, but but to be like so much into like, oh yeah, one one con- oh, oh yeah. We don't know. Maybe Paul was talking to that specific crowd. Maybe that crowd needed to hear that because maybe it was like the Romans or the Philippians or whatever who were really like restless or something. He's like, I learned contentment. Like maybe it was just geared toward that one specific instance. But then you, he can. The thing that that's dangerous about religion is then you hear people freaking misuse shit, and they'll be like, "Okay, slaves, whip, whip, whip. Yeah, be content. Look at what Paul says. Be content. Whip, whip, whip. You know what I mean?" Any thoughts? Sound pretty judgmental. But you see what I mean? How how this stuff can be misused a lot, and obviously that slave master is not necessarily content. But you see how people who can be kind of jackasses can misuse scripture to for negative means. Like, I mean, I'm I'm just thinking of like one example would be like when you said like you know everything's just fine, and then mom and dad would be like yeah everything's just fine. But they used it in a negative way. You know, people can always mi- definitely misuse the, the spiritual stuff. And, and you know, any thoughts there? Totally. Yeah. We are sensible of it. Question two: Whether a Christian may not lay open his grievances to God and yet be contented? Yes. Unto thee I have opened my cause. Jeremiah chapter twenty verse twelve. And David poured out his complaint before the Lord. Psalm 142, verse 2. We may cry to God and desire him to write down all our injuries. Shall not the child complain to his father? When any burden is upon the spirit, prayer gives vent. It easeth the heart. Hannah's spirit was burdened. I am, says she, a woman of a sorrowful spirit. Now having prayed and wept, she went away and was no more sad. Only here is the difference between a holy complaint and a discontented complaint. In the one we complain to God... In the other, we complain of God. Ain't that? No. Question three. What is it properly that contentment doth exclude? There are three things which contentment doth banish. One, it excludes a vexatious repining. This is properly the daughter of discontent. I mourn in my complaint. Psalm 55 verse 2. He doth not say, I murmur in my complaint. Murmuring is no better than mutiny in the heart. It is a rising up against God. When the sea is rough and unquiet, it casts forth nothing but foam. Any thoughts? No. Uh, before we continue, I, I want to listen to a little bit more of that Jim Mars thing and tell me what you think about this. Ready? gathered many detractors, especially over the depiction of the Anunnaki as extraterrestrials. Michael Heiser, who earned degrees in the Hebrew Bible and ancient Semitic languages, and was one of Sitkin's most vociferous critics, stated on his website, sitkinisrong.com, that what Sitkin has written about Nibiru, the Anunnaki, the book of Genesis, the Nephilim, and a host of other things, has absolutely no basis in the real data of the ancient world. 
In an open letter to Sitkin, now addressed to ancient astronaut enthusiast following Sitkin's death in 2010, Heiser argued that the name Anunnaki appears nowhere in the electronic text corpus of Sumerian literature published on the Internet by the University of Oxford. While technically this may be true, the term Anuna gods appears numerous times in the literature and obviously could be collectivized into the plural term Anunnaki. One example of this term from the Oxford Sumerian texts recounts the boasts of Enki, who proclaimed, With An the king, on An's dais, I oversee justice. With Enlil, looking out over the lands, I decree good destinies. He has placed in my hands the decreeing of fates in the place where the sun rises. I am cherished by Nintur. I am named with a good name by Ninhursaga. I am the leader of the Anuna gods. I was born as the firstborn son of Holy An. Naturally, no reputable scientist who desires to protect conventional textbooks and his funding sources would publicly admit to subscribing to Sitkin's theories, yet many thousands have followed Sitkin's work, some researchers augmenting the details of his narrative. Author, psychologist, and minister Paul Von Ward spoke for many when he wrote, Although I do not agree with his cosmology, his elucidation of historic details and connection of them to other fields of knowledge stand up under comparative review with the work of other scholars. Yeah, he does. Comparative review with the work of other scholars. His summary of information relating to the olden gods, known in Sumeria as the Anunnaki, presents a cohesive and defensible mixture of textual material and judicious interpretation. C.L. Turnage, an author who has studied more than 300 translations of ancient Mesopotamian and Vedic writings, including the extra-biblical Book of Enoch, wrote, After studying Sitkin's theory, I began my own contemplation of the pre-biblical Babylonian Epic of Creation, or Enuma Elish. It was from a study of this narrative that Sitkin became aware of the planet Nibiru and its establishment within our own solar system. This tale was originally written on seven clay tablets, each corresponding to a day of creation. The creation of man was recorded on the sixth tablet, while the seventh was reserved for the exaltation of the Babylonian national deity Marduk, the creator god. After my own study of these chronicles, I concurred with Sitkin's findings. It does appear that the first three chapters of Genesis, particularly the seven days of creation, were actually derived from the older creation epic and other chronicles, then revamped to meet Hebrew theology. Why would the Hebrews borrow the creation story from older Mesopotamian texts? What it does. It's very clear that the Hebrew writer borrowed from existing religions. Yeah, but the, the same way it was Christian. Yeah. Yeah, but but the but the religious people they say that no, those religions are just demons and they're just counterfeits to the true one, and they're just put there to deceive us, like any thoughts of that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's their story. Yeah, thoughts of. No. Story from older Mesopotamian texts. Was it because they worshipped one of the Mesopotamian deities themselves? He said story. One of the Mesopotamian deities themselves? An early gold rush. Over thousands of years earth time, according to the Sumerian narrative, the Anunnaki continued to put a thriving colony in place, and their attention turned to their primary objective, gold. Some researchers have composed elaborate metaphysical explanations for Anunnaki activities on Earth, many having to do with energy fields and spiritual planes disrupted by the passing of Nibiru and the creation of Earth. One theory was that the more highly evolved Anunnaki were attempting to rescue lost souls left behind after the planetary collision. But more documented and acceptable is the idea of Sitkin and others that these colonists were after Earth's mineral wealth, particularly gold, for use on their home planet. The Anunnaki sought gold to save their atmosphere, which had apparently sprung leaks similar to those we have created in ours by damaging the Earth's ozone layer with hydrofluorocarbons. 
explained author. No. Layer with hydrofluorocarbons, explained author Lloyd Pye. The Anunnaki solution was to disperse extremely tiny flakes of gold into their upper atmosphere to patch holes. Ironically, modern scientists contend that if we are ever forced to repair our own damaged ozone layer, tiny particulates of gold shot into the upper atmosphere would be the best way to go about it. This theory is not so far-fetched when one considers that in 1997, a research team led by the physicist Edward Teller, known as the father of the hydrogen bomb, proposed various methods for controlling solar radiation, including the seeding of heavy metals, such as gold particles, into the upper atmosphere. Also, it is known that gold is an excellent conductor of electromagnetic energy, and it never rusts. In fact, in April 2009, President Obama's science advisor, John P. Holdren, publicly suggested that heavy metal pollutants be sprayed into the upper atmosphere to create a heat shield to retard perceived global warming. But when the Anunnaki attempted to retrieve gold from the Persian Gulf by... It does? He attempted to retrieve gold from the Persian Gulf by an extraction process. It proved inefficient and time-consuming. Anu, along with his heir Enlil, visited the colony and assigned Enki to find more gold. Enlil was placed in overall command of the Earth colony, while Enki led a foray to Africa and eventually to South America, where he set up gold mining operations. Proof of such early gold mining has come from scientific studies conducted for the Anglo-American Corporation, a leading South African mining company in the 1970s. According to South African author Michael Tellinger, company scientists discovered evidence of thousands of ancient mining operations, some dated as... I was going to ask, what, what do you think about the idea, though, that, you know, like the Buddhists or even like the Hindus will say, like, the thought that you're having at the time of your death will determine, like, what you were born as? Like, any thoughts on that? Well, yeah. It, it's certainly possible, but I have no basis on which to make a comment on or, that. Or, or they'll even say, though, that, like, if you have a dog, it's kind of like, it's kind of, you're owning an animal and it's kind of bad. Or maybe even like attachment, you can be reborn as a dog, or like they, they so they kind of like Hindus kind of like look down against owning pets. Like any thoughts on that? No. All right. Of ancient mining operations, some dated as far back as 100,000 BC. Similar ancient mine excavations have been found in Central and South America. They indicate that the Anunnaki mining efforts were worldwide and may go far in explaining the early diffusion of humans. Further substantiation of such wide-ranging travel may be found by comparing the names of ancient Mesopotamian cities and localities, as recorded by the 2nd century A.D. geographer Ptolemy, to counterparts for gold mining sites in Central America. The Mesopotamian name Chol can be compared to the Central American name Chol-Ula, Kolua, Kolua-Khan, Zuivana, Zuivan, Cholima, Colima, Zalisa, Xalisco. The raw mined ore was then carried from the far-flung mines by cargo craft back... Hey, boss. No. ...from the far-flung mines by cargo craft back to Mesopotamia for smelting and processing into hourglass-shaped ingots called zag, or purified precious. Engravings of such ingots are numerous, and some of the actual ingots have been found in archaeological excavations. In an effort to ease the increasing rivalry between the half-brothers Enlil and Enki, their father, Anu, placed Enlil in charge of the Mesopotamian colony Eden, perhaps the basis for the biblical Eden, while assigning Enki to Abzu, or Africa, the land of the mines. Hey, does. Like, I was thinking, like, if you're a basketball player, too, like, you don't want to be content when you're playing, like, 
sometimes a little bit of fear is actually good because it, it gets your adrenaline going. And like with me, like being nervous was good. And it means that you're not like plan, have things planned out and you're not like discontent. You know, like any thoughts of that? Yeah, that's right. The reason why I find it a little bit elusive to understand what he me he's meaning by content. Yeah, yeah brother. No. Out of Africa. A number of writers believe that the Anunnaki mined gold on Earth for more than 100,000 years until the rank-and-file Anunnaki, who were doing the back-breaking work in the mines, mutinied about 300,000 years ago. On top of the unrelenting drudgery of the mining operations, difficulties for these extraterrestrial colonists had increased due to climate changes. Enlil, the commander-in-chief, wanted to punish the workers for their rebellion. He called an assembly of the great Anunnaki, which included his father, Anu, who was more sympathetic to the plight of the Anunnaki miners. He saw that the work of the mutineers was very hard and that their distress was considerable. One Sumerian text reported, The load is excessive. It is killing us. Our work is too hard. The trouble too much. So every single one of us gods has agreed to complain to Enlil. Enlil wondered aloud if there wasn't another way to obtain gold. At this point, Enki suggested that a primitive worker called an Adamu be created to take over the difficult work. Be created to take over the difficult work. Enki pointed out that... Yeah, and he doesn't. But I mean, they needed to because they needed to get the gold so they could survive, you know? They both. Over the difficult work. Enki pointed out that a primitive humanoid, what we call Homo erectus, or a closely related hominid, was quite prevalent in Abzu, Africa, where he maintained a laboratory. Just as today we furiously debate animal experimentation, gene splicing, and cloning, the Anunnaki also debated the morality of tinkering with a species. Anunnaki leaders argued, creation in the hands of the father of all beginning alone is held. Enki counter-argued that producing a hybrid, half-Anunnaki and half-primitive human, would not be an act of creation, but merely improving the existing breed. Many people today believe that Sitkin and his followers are claiming that aliens created humans. Instead, the process, as described in the Sumerian tablets, was only a breeding program similar to what has been done with various animals by mankind to improve the stock. And so, Enki's plan to create a worker race in Africa... Enki's plan to create a worker race in Africa was approved by the Anunnaki Assembly, and the Anunnaki created a race in their image. Sound like a familiar refrain? One of the most puzzling verses in the Bible, Genesis 1:26, assures readers that there is only one true God, but then quotes God in the plural, stating, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Could the plural gods here be the Anunnaki? The Genesis verse may reveal two things about our history. The first is that the plural Elohim of the Old Testament, later interpreted as God by the monotheists who wrote Genesis, indeed may have referred to the Anunnaki assembly. The second idea from this verse is that creating man in our image meant simply genetic manipulation of an existing species, not the creation of a new race. As Zechariah Sitkin explained, as both Orientalists and Bible scholars now know, the editing and summarizing by the compilers of the book of Genesis was of much earlier and considerably more detailed texts first written down in Sumer. The Anunnaki Earth Mission's medical officer was a female named Ninhursag, who had already been working with Enki in genetic experimentation. On at least one Sumerian cylinder seal, an illustration of Enki and Ninhursag depicted them surrounded by vials or vessels, a table, shelves, a plant, and a helper, looking very much like a laboratory. 
a helper looking very much like a laboratory. Enki and Ninhursag produced many mutated creatures, including animals such as bulls and lions with human heads, winged animals and apes, and humanoids with the head and feet of goats. If true, it is obvious that these experiments may have been the source for the many legends of mythological creatures and superhumans, such as Atlas, Goliath, Polyphemus, and Typhon. In addition to these fantastic creatures, the Sumerian tablets describe how Enki produced the first test tube infant by combining DNA and producing a hybrid of human and alien origin in his laboratory. Could this be why recent studies of mitochondrial DNA indicate that all of Earth's humans can be traced back to one primitive female who lived in Africa? Michael Tellinger and South African researcher Johann Hein have added considerable strength to the argument that modern humans are the offspring of the Anunnaki gods from space. The pair has unearthed startling new evidence that human civilization is far older than believed by conventional history and that large human habitants were flourishing within huge communities in South Africa more than 200,000 years ago. In fact, they claim that they may have found the location of Enki's laboratory at the ruins called Adam's Calendar on the Transvaal Escarpment. In Temples of the African Gods, Tellinger and Hein wrote, The discoveries we have been making right here since 2003 are so astonishing that they will require a dramatic paradigm shift in our perception of human history. A new understanding of the real history of humankind may just provide some of the answers we have been searching for and deliver a new sense of comfort for many who feel betrayed by our historians and especially by our religions. Tellinger and Hein claim that even the Sumerian civilization may have been preceded by an African culture whose settlements covered most of South Africa and may have even known how to harness free energy from the earth. An ancient petroglyph found in Africa, a circle containing a cross inside a sweeping boomerang shape, resembles the famous winged disc normally associated with Sumer, Babylonia, and Egypt. Another connection between Africa and Sumer may be found in the names of their gods, which bear a striking resemblance to the Sumerian overlords. It is astonishing to discover that ancient Zulu culture and religion, including those of all other Bantu tribes, is directly linked to the Sumerians, noted Tellinger and Hein. Our proof comes in the form of large stone monolith statues, petroglyphs, and symbols discovered in Mpumalanga and other parts of South Africa. It does. In Mpumalanga and other parts of South Africa, which were previously believed to be of Sumerian and Egyptian origins. Tellinger and Hein have also been careful to look at these Sumerian tablets to formulate their conclusions. These tablets are the oldest written record of human history, and the constant reference to South Africa in these tablets leaves little doubt that there was a lot of activity here long before Sumer or Egypt were established. It is now very clear that the first civilization merged many thousands of years ago in a land the Sumerians called the Abzu, the land of the first, emphasis in the original, people in South Africa, where the gold came from. Hybrid. The Sumerian account of the creation of the first man, written as Lulu in the Sumerian, or in Hebrew, Adama, literally translated as man of earth, or simply earthling, is quite clear in light of today's knowledge concerning cloning and in vitro fertilization. But up to 25 years ago or so, the whole concept would have been incomprehensible to even the most learned scholar. It is written that Enki and Ninhursag took the reproductive cell or egg from a primitive African female hominid and fertilized it with the sperm of a young Anunnaki male. The fertilized ovum was then placed inside an Anunnaki woman, reportedly by one of Enki's own wives, Ninki, who carried the child to term. Although a cesarean section was required at birth, a healthy young male Adama hybrid was produced for the first time on Earth, bypassing natural evolution by millions of years. According to the ancient Sumerian reporters, when mankind was first created, they knew not the eating of bread, knew not the dressing with garments, ate plants with their mouth like sheep, drank water from the ditch. 
Human antiquity lends much support to the legitimacy of the Sumerian accounts of humankind's beginnings. And consider that both the Dogon tribe in Africa and the Aborigines of Australia, continents apart, both claim knowledge passed down for more than 50,000 years of human creation by beings who came from the stars. If this seems like a far stretch of the imagination, consider that the Encyclopedia Britannica tells the same story, only it is under the heading of Mesopotamian mythology. Until about 1996, when Dolly the... It does. Until about 1996, when Dolly the sheep was cloned in Scotland, scholars reading these Sumerian texts regarding the hybridization and cloning of humans are excused for believing the stories were all fanciful myths. But today, cloning, gene splicing, mm -hmm. and in vitro fertilization are commonplace procedures. In July 2011, a modern parallel to the Sumerian story of human... It's interesting how reality did, did that, huh? Like, you know, back in the day, people would be like, oh, that's crazy that God could know... You know, have a book of life where he knows everything you said and did. But like, but now we have like cameras and tape recorders and stuff that can record everything. And you know, how do we know that there's not like some sort of nanobots with tape recorders in them recording everything? You know, we don't know any thoughts. Yeah. Turn parallel seems to the Sumerian story. Was it? I see that seems like a fantastic possibility, but I guess it's possible. I mean, like with with simulations and, and video games and stuff. You know, like, all, all the stuff that seems like science fiction is now kind of, you know, we can understand it now. You know, any thoughts? No. A modern parallel to the Sumerian story of humankind's creation became apparent when it was revealed that human-animal hybrids were secretly being created by scientists in Britain. According to reports, 155 embryos containing both human and animal genetic material had been created since the introduction of Britain's 2008 Human Fertilization Embryology Act. This research, conducted in hopes of finding cures for disease, was carried out in labs at King's College in London, Newcastle University, and Warwick University. Lord David Alton of Liverpool criticized the research, proclaiming, I argued in Parliament against the creation of human-animal hybrids as a matter of principle. None of the scientists who appeared before us could give us any justification in terms of treatment. Although officials said the scientists were not concerned over the human-animal hybrid embryos because legally they must be destroyed within 14 days, the experiments were stopped reportedly due to lack of funding. Continuing the Anunnaki narrative, Enki and Ninhursag went on to produce a number of Adamas, both male and female, although at this time they were incapable of reproduction and lived very short lives compared to the Anunnaki. This was apparently done in a conscious effort to prevent any competition from the new human race. It is interesting to note that, according to Genesis 3-5, the very first order of the Elohim was that man, in the allegorical form of Adam and Eve, was to remain ignorant, lest ye shall be as gods. King James Version. The laboratory which produced the first Adamas was called. Hey, laboratory which produced the first Adamas was called Shiimti or the house. What does that mean? Lest ye shall be as gods, and it does. Well, think that you're in charge. I guess. Was called Shiimti or the house where the wind of life is breathed in. By the Sumerians. Compare this phrase with Genesis 2-7, in which God, after forming man from the dust of the ground, or Adamu, meaning earth, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Adam was the first test tube baby, proclaimed Sitkin after the birth of the first modern test tube baby in 1978. He saw this modern birth as support for his Sumerian translations. That the ancient Sumerians passed along symbols representing the long-forgotten science of cloning is suggested by the caduceus, the logo of physicians even today. 
This ancient symbol of life-giving medical treatment, represented by entwined snakes along a winged staff, bears a striking resemblance to the double spiral strings of DNA molecules. DNA, discovered only in 1946, is the compound within nucleated cells that stores the individual organism's genetic blueprint. It is the manipulation of DNA that can produce a duplicate, clone, or hybrid. The first human workers were like mules and could not procreate. Oh, it does? That's probably enough for now. I was going to say, a lot of people would just say, yo, that's a coincidence, the, the spiral and everything. But is there coincidences in reality, in the Matrix? Any thoughts? Well, maybe not. Maybe there is and maybe there isn't. Maybe, maybe it's all destined. I was gonna ask, I was gonna say one more thing, but what, what do you think about the idea of like trust your feelings? Any thoughts of that? Well, see, that can mean many different things. Trust your impulses, trust your intellect, trust your 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 emotions, or trust your intuition. Do you think that people should trust their feelings? Any thoughts? Well, it depends on what you mean by feelings, what they understand their feelings. Because I know that some people are so immature. Like some people will look at it at a person who's quote unquote like black and their feeling will be like, oh, I don't like them. But it's because they've been programmed. You know, there's this book Blink that talks about how our society programs people. And you think that your feelings are accurate. Oh, I, my feeling is that my, my wife is cheating on me. Well, maybe you just have a, a, a negative view of women, you know? Yeah. So I don't know if people should trust their feelings. Maybe if you have a high consciousness and, and you're in touch with the divine consciousness, I don't know any thoughts. Yeah, then, then you're trusting, you know, when you mean, what you mean by trusting your feelings, you're talking about your intuition or insight. Yeah, because because your feelings can produce reality. If I feel that that guy's a bad guy, I can influence him to be a bad guy. I feel that guy's gonna That's hurt me. True. You know that can influence That's, that. It's true. It, it happens all the time. 